11, if you turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Today from this simple passage, very involved passage, but a simple one, we see what God has done in the past, what God does in your life right now, and what God will do in the future. What God has done in the past and what God will do in the future calls us to the right now, to the right now, with a big no, as we look at this passage. Titus chapter 2, and verse 11, it says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God, that free gift, that God demonstrates His love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We deserve judgment, and we receive mercy. Amen. Oh, incredible. He left His glory in heaven. The One who had been one with the Father from all eternity shared His glory, shared His love. Then He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, took on flesh, born of a virgin, and He brought us salvation. He Himself bore our sins in His body to the tree so that having died of sins, we might live for righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Him, Jesus Christ, who had no sin, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It says He appeared to all. What God has done by His grace has appeared to all. It's known. It's preached. There is no one without an excuse. How many times has God got to make it clear? There's no one who has an excuse before God. God did it nearly 2,000 years ago. And even when Paul writes to Titus, it's already in the past. 30 years or so ago. God did it for Titus. He did it for Paul. He did it for you. And the question is, will you believe? Will you respond? Will you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and ask Him in? You're without excuse. God's made His grace plain and apparent to any and to all. And then in verse 12, it teaches us, this grace of God, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It says it teaches us to say no. The Greek word is deny. And so if you want to be literal about it, it could say uh, God's grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly passions. I like it more plain like this. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Most of the time, deny is in the New Testament is used in a bad way. Peter, on the night Jesus was betrayed, did what? He denied knowing Him three times, just as Jesus told him He would. Jesus Himself in Matthew 10, verse 33 says, Whoever acknowledges Me before others, I will acknowledge before My Father in heaven. That's why being saved is a personal, private decision. You in your heart must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but why we call for a public decision. Walk down the aisle at the end of the service and say, Jesus Christ is My Lord and Savior. I've asked Him into My life. 
Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven, Jesus said. But he says, whoever disowns me, denies me before others, I will disown him, deny him before my Father in heaven. It's used in a negative way most of the time. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, it says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his own family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. By our actions, we can deny the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, a beautiful poem of worship says this. It says, here's a faithful saying, one worthy of full acceptance. If we have died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. A warning against denying the Lord Jesus Christ, but also talking about His goodness towards us. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 5 talks about the last days. And what does it say? There'll be people who are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Denying the power we have in Jesus Christ. Titus in the first chapter, verse 16, it talks about those who claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. We can deny Him with our words. We can deny Him with our actions. We can deny the power of the gospel. We can deny in many ways by our actions and how we treat other people. And there's another one in First John chapter 2, and verse 22, where it asks the question, Who is the liar? Who is the liar? It is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Warns about the, the spirit of Antichrist, of denying that Jesus is in fact the Messiah sent from God. And to do that is to deny God the Father Himself. So often in the New Testament, deny is used in a bad way. Denying Christ, denying the faith, denying the power of the Gospel, denying uh, all these things. But here, deny is used in a good way. To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and desires. It was also used in a good way by Jesus. In Matthew 16 and verse 24. He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We'll find it. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. 
deny yourself, follow him. Say no, deny ungodliness, worldly passions, and desires. Deny what is bad and accept and pursue what is good. Deny ungodliness, worldly passions, desires, but then pursue what? Self-control. Self-control and upright and godly lives. And he says to do that in the present age. And it's just, it's just the Greek word now age. It could be, if you want to be a literalist, you translate it and pursue these things in the now age. But that's not really good English. So in the present age, in the present age. Deny, say no to evil. Live now for God in self-control. That means control, having self-control of your thoughts and of your words and of your actions because the Spirit of Christ is in control of your life. We always used to, to uh, talk, you know, to examine the lives of our elderly parents and uh, describe that in terms of uh, the filters come off. Okay? When it came to their words and... Uh, it's like, oh, wow, they're getting old. The filter came off. Wow. I, you know, I, I don't know if I, it's because I'm getting old or what, but pray for me. I'm worried that the filter's coming off, you know? So, to have self-control with our words. To have self-control with our thoughts. Philippians 4 and verse 8, and talking about our thoughts, it says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything that's excellent or praiseworthy, let your mind dwell on these things. Think about such things. Rather than letting your thoughts stray to lust, to greed, to anger, to replaying hurts and injustices that have happened to you, and replaying them in your mind again and again and again. Oh, I remember what she said. I remember what he did. Have self-control of your thoughts in the now. Be controlled by redirecting it towards what is godly and what is good. In Hinduism, there's a, the idea of uh, having self-control in your thoughts by just not thinking about anything. It's kind of like just sit there and repeat some meaningless word or phrase and don't think about anything, and then you'll be at peace. That's not God's way. That's not the Bible way. It's not about uh, uh, clearing your mind so you don't think of anything evil and think of nothing, but it calls us to think about what is good and what is right, what is lovely, what is admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. You want to have victory over sin in your thoughts? It's about uh, not simply fighting thoughts in your heads, but filling your head with good thoughts, godly thoughts. Have self-control over your thoughts. Have self-control over your words. Ephesians 5, verse 4 says, There should not be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. In our world today, it's amazing the lack of self-control when it comes to people's mouths. 
throughout society. And uh, I, just, to, just to pick on the big guys, you know, uh, when I was growing up, if a president was ever caught on Mike swearing, his career was over. And yet the last couple of presidents, that's, that's what they do. That's what we do. That's who we are. We're going to let it fly and go from there. Self-control of what you say. Do my words help others? Do they encourage others? How do my words impact the lives of other people? And that may involve using your words to rebuke and correct. It may mean using your words to be thankful and to praise other people, but it will never involve using your words to slander, to gossip, to say things that are spiteful and hateful. And he calls us in the now. Say no. Deny these things that are evil and live for the now, for God, in your thoughts and your words and in your actions. You have self-control when it comes to your body, with your pursuits, with your actions. Are you self-disciplined enough to take the time to pray, to read the Bible each day? Are you self-disciplined in your actions to be willing to help others, even if it means stop what you're doing, what you think is so incredibly important to help somebody else? Are you... you have self-control in your actions to work diligently, to be responsible in, as a Christian and leading and training other people, helping, providing for those under your care. And it says, do that in the present age. Now. 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 Say no. Deny yourself so that you might live for God and for others. Say no to evil, to worldly desires. Say yes right now to loving God, to loving others. Say yes to making Christ Jesus known that others may experience His saving grace, the grace that has appeared to all people and invites all to believe and be saved. Self-control says... Uh, in the now, it calls us to live self-controlled lives and upright lives. Jesus died on the cross, and He rose from the dead, and He sends His Holy Spirit to live within our hearts for a great purpose. Not just for the forgiveness of our sins, not just for eternal life, but that we might be righteous. <clears throat> Scriptures already quoted. He bore our sins in His body through the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Him who knew no sin become sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He calls us to live upright lives. To have loving and strong marriages, upright lives. To raise children to believe and to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To be righteous. To be honest, hard-working people who are faithful to their Word, who are loving towards others, who are joyful, who are patient, who are kind and good towards others. Righteous lives because Christ died for you. Now! To be free from drunkenness and drugs. 
to not be one who's violent, not arrogant, but righteous. Say no, deny yourself, so that now you can live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Goes on verse 13. To do this while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They talked about the past, what God did for us, gave us grace, forgiveness, the now, how we should live now, to deny ourselves, say no to ungodliness, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And then it talks about the future. One day, one day, Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to rapture all the believers who are still alive, and so we will be with the Lord forever. On the night He's betrayed, Jesus talked about that in John 14. And He says, In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with Me that where." I am, you may also be. He wants us to be with Him for all eternity. John chapter, later, that same night, John chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus is praying and He puts it this way, Father, I want those You have given Me to be with Me where I am, that they might see My glory, the glory You have given Me, because You loved Me before the creation of the world. Our blessed hope is not here. There's a lot of good things in life. But our blessed hope is not here in this life. But it's in the future in heaven. Jesus Christ is our great God and Savior. He will come for the church. He will come to judge the world with justice and righteousness. And so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for things done while in the body, whether good or bad, good or evil. We have a blessed hope to come because he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and promises to come back. It amazes me how many people place their hope and their trust in something other than the all-powerful God who created the universe and gives us life. You see it in the news, news articles. Somebody, hey, oh man, they found something, some scientists found something about genes and genetics. Maybe we're going to live a much longer lives. Good luck on that. Or science has been working hard to, to cure cancer and heart disease. And tell you what, if they could cure cancer and heart disease today, you'd still die of something else. It amazes me how I see news articles of famous people. Famous people die, and they were in their 70s or 80s or 90s. And, uh, and, and it's almost like they're reporting it like, I'm just so shocked. How could, how could somebody so famous, so talented, so rich, so well-known, how could they die? It's just terrible. But guess what? There's a limit. 
from the very first book in Genesis 6, verse 3, God said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. There's rarely anybody that lives over 100. God says there's limits. Moses writes in Psalm 90, verse 10, and he says, What's a man's days? 70 years or 80 if he has strength? What's the average age today of death? 76, 77? Moses, that was 4,000, 3,500 years ago. And Moses said, what's a man's life? 70 years or 80 if he has strength? Boom, there it is. Hadn't changed in 3,500 years. <clears throat> and Job says, verse... Chapter 14, verse 5, Job says, Man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits. He cannot exceed. And the world continues to be shocked that people die. There is no real hope in this life. This life is finite, and one day it will be over. We only have a blessed hope. A blessed hope in the return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The great hope of the resurrection of the dead to eternal life. A home prepared in heaven. That's all the more reason to say no. Deny ungodliness. And to live now for righteousness. For righteousness. In this present age. Verse 14. Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own eager to do what is good. We have the past. We have the future. We have the now. We go back to the past a little while. Jesus Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. He gave Himself. Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus said about Himself, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. A ransom to buy us back from our sins, from the clutches of the devil. 1 John 3, 16 says, this is how we know what love is. People have all sorts of different definitions about love. 1 John 3, 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. He gave Himself for us. That's the definition of love. There's no other definition that can hold a candle to it. He, gave, he laid down His life for us, and so we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, fellow believers. Ephesians 5.25, talking about marriage, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Gave Himself for her. It was done in the past, and it comes to the now, and it calls us as believers to give ourselves deny ourselves, to give ourselves to the Gospel, to Jesus Christ, to deny ourselves so that we might lay down our lives 
in showing God's love for others. Back to the present, the now. He redeemed us. He bought us back. And He brought us back so that we might belong to God, not belong to ourselves. That we might belong to God. That we be a people of His own, owned by God, who belong to Him and not ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, The love of Christ controls us, compels us. I'm not my own. The love of Christ compels us, controls us, because we are convinced that one has died for all, and therefore all have died, and He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sakes died and rose from the dead. He redeemed us. He bought us back to be His own. And then it says He purified us. In 1 John Chapter 1, it talks a lot about what it means to be purified before God. And again, it seems like modern Christianity in the West, we like to talk about the love of God, the free forgiveness by faith. Yes, true, 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 true. But this talks about you've been saved to be righteous. And you've been saved to be purified. Not to remain as you are. Not to remain in your own hands, but belong to Him. And so 1 John chapter 1, and verse 5, it says, This was the message we heard from Him and declare to you, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Here it comes. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Here it comes. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His Word has no place in our lives. We are righteous and clean in God's sight because He has made us clean by the blood of His Son. We've been redeemed. We've been purified. Freely forgiven. We can come to Him, confess our sins, and know that the blood of Jesus will cleanse us and make us pure. But He purifies us so that we might be eager. Or in old English word, zealous. That we might be eager to do what is good. Not just, oh, well, good. Yeah, it's something good. That's all right. No. Eager. Man, I want to get after this. I want to do it. Are you ready and willing to pour your life into other people to help for them, help them, to care for them, to share what you have with them, to love them, to be patient, to be kind, to be encouraging? Do you pray for opportunities to do that? You pray for your abilities and gifts. You have a prayer like it says in Colossians 4 that there be open doors. Open my eyes that I might see what I can do to be eager to do what is good. Then it closes in verse 15 
These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. What's the greatest way to do what is good? To teach and share and witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Present Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Call on others to repent of their sins and to believe in Him. Is it good to help people who need help? Lend a hand? Sure it is. To feed the hungry? Sure it is. Those are all good and wonderful things to do. But the most important thing is to call others to repent and believe. Why? Because there's limits. Eternity is at stake. Seventy to eighty years and it's all over. He says, show the authority that the gospel has. There's no reason to be looked down upon because you got the name of Christian. Don't let people despise you when you have the very words of eternal life given to us by Jesus Christ in the Bible and in the Gospel. In the past, He gave Himself. He was crucified. He rose from the dead. Salvation has been offered. In the future, He will return and take His believers, His children home to heaven. There will be judgment on all throughout the world. So now, now, deny yourself. Say no to sin. Now, be self-controlled, upright, and godly. Why? Because you are owned by Christ Jesus. You are owned by Christ Jesus. Be eager to do what is good, whether at home, at school, at work, in the community, at the church. Be eager to do what is good and let no one despise you. God is my Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You, Lord. Power and truth of Your Word. You saved us, Lord, freely by Your grace. You saved us freely by Your grace that we might be purified and righteous in Your sight and that we might live lives that are righteous before You and others. Lord, we thank You for this great grace. Help us in the now to please You in the now to say no to what's evil. All the glory might be yours in Christ's name. Amen.